just had sex. Welcome to Prognosis, episode four, I believe. We are recording live from Fort Knox studio with a special guest, Pete Pena, and uh, he uh, selected a song, uh, the band of which I already know, uh, and I'm predisposed to hating, uh, but uh, we will uh, go along the same path that we've always done. Song is selected, uh, Chris and Aaron, typically this week, Pete. Uh, trying to convince me that Prague does not fucking suck. Uh, I'm going to read the lyrics. We are going to pause the podcast and listen to the song. And then we'll come back and uh, discuss it. So, this week's selection is By Tor and the Snow Dog by Rush. Printed uh, in color, which is unusual for this podcast. That may never happen again. <laughs> uh, so here goes. Tobes of Hades, lit by flickering torchlight, the netherworld is gathered in the glare. Prince Bytor takes the cavern to the north light, the sign of Eth is rising in the air. Bytor, knight of darkness, centurion of evil, devil's prince. Across the river Styx, out of the lamplight, his nemesis is waiting at the gate, the snow dog. Airmine glowing in the damp night, cold black eyes shimmering with hate. Bytor and the snow dog square for battle, let the fray begin. The battle's over and the dust is clearing. Disciples of the snow dog sound the knell. Rejoicing echoes as the dawn is nearing. Bytor in defeat retreats to hell. Snow dog is victorious. The land of the overworld is saved again. I think that's fucking beautiful. Like, I get goosebumps here and there. So, there's two parts to this song. They're setting up for battle, and then there's the aftermath of the battle. Yeah, but the thing is... They skip the best part. You know that the battle happens instrumental. It's it's progressive rock. It is totally instrumental. I can't wait to hear the (laughs) musical stylings of the snow dog and Bytor. Alright, we're going to pause at this juncture, and we'll, uh, we'll make Matt enjoy this beautiful piece of art, and then we'll return to you to explain to him why he is stupid with that. So we've just finished listening to Bytor and the Snow Dog. Um, Burn in hell, Bytor. Yeah, damn it. That's where you go back to whence you came. Okay, anyways. So maybe uh, our, our good buddy Pete Pena um, of Command Performance can tell us a little bit about why he particularly likes this song and why he chose it for progressive domination. That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I'm not with the progressive movement, I'm sorry, but... We're not we're not all prog prog rock idiots or whatever, but 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 just because of the the example we were setting for Matt here, I wanted to show him something that was as pretentious as his own band is currently. <laughs> wow. wow! And DDT on our own podcast. Beautiful. And Pete is drinking our beer as we speak. <laughs> But more importantly, that if he really, really 
wants to develop as a bass player, hitting something in this production value right here, you get your three-finger triplet on three different notes, meaning you have to deliver on each stroke of the hand. So, so the reason it's you not would, cheating. The reason you would like this particular song, then, is it purely for musician purposes? Or it's for like... musician purposes, yes, definitely. But if you look at the production, I think this is where the progressive movement actually took a turn. You've got the stylistically, you've got that whole multi-section, you, you've got a, a bigger open drum sound going. It, it's just the, very close to the precursor of the Stephen Lillywhite stereo drum mix in 77. This is just two years earlier. But it, it, it's getting very close to that. So it was progressive in, in the sense of, uh, of actually trying to push some boundaries as opposed to just trying to be impressive for complexity. Exactly, exactly, exactly. They, they tried on all facets of the, both the production, the, the music, and God say the lyrics. <laughs> I love the lyrics this song. Aaron, what's your position on this particular tune? Uh, I feel like this album, uh, being the sophomore efforting from Rush, the, the first with Neil writing in the band, um, was absolutely fantastic. I'm sure that Rush's core audience, actually, when this album came out, didn't expect them to write anything like this. Oh, yeah, I agree completely with that. Because when they uh, when they first came out, they were kind of more of a, a hard rock and Zeppelin-esque band with uh, songs like Working Man and you know, some kind of Mood. Canadian example of Zeppelin meets Nugent kind yes, of thing. Yes, exactly. exactly. And uh, with this, like, you know, exactly what it says, By Torn the Snow Dog, like, how the... How the hell do you get an audience ready for that the first time? <laughs> That's, yeah, I think that they totally left the rails of what they were doing, both uh, for their stage shows and uh, and their writing, and just went a completely different route. This is actually uh, this is this is my second favorite period of Russia's entirety. Um, was Fly by Night, Caress of Steel, and then Twenty One Twelve, because there's still a lot of, you know. They're not taking as many chances with the music. They're still rooted to a really solid rock bass and a groove. As you can tell with the middle section of that song, how just stripped down it goes. Exactly. Like they, <laughs> they were able to play, uh, taking into account the fact that you know Gentle Giant and Pink Floyd were two of their big influences early on in their career. Nope. Neil Peart does not do one drum roll in the middle section. Exactly. <laughs> so it's just, we're, we're going to stick on the groove and we're going to keep the form of the music and we're going to make it difficult and progressive by experimenting with sounds and textures but it's still going to keep the overall feeling of what we were going for originally we don't have to change feels and change times to make this music interesting and complex but neil's still definitely shredding this tune i mean of anybody in, this, in the band he's still and he's got like all the all the real solo-y solos you know not to mean? mention this is still the fact that uh Alex is still using all of the uh, analog effects to create all of that uh, guitar solo mm -hmm. stuff in there. As insane as it is, it's still all pedal. That's that's the the good era. That's like exactly. the, that's the vintage beauty. <laughs> Nobody helped out with that one. <laughs> all right, so Matt, what's your particular opinion on this song as a, as an example of the genre? I think this song is just awful. <laughs> uh, I do. Like the uh, the I, I like the tone. I don't feel it was overproduced. Um, I, one of the questions I had was, is this an early uh, Rush album? And, and Aaron said it's, it's their their sophomore, sophomore effort. Seventy five. Seventy five. 
So it seems like the little that I know, Rush, you know, it seems like they've built up the production values later in their discography. Well, the '80s kind of demanded that of anybody who was performing through it too. So like you're 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 going up against Tears for Fears. You're going up yeah, against except the Stones. Uh-huh. The Stones That's true. The same production. That's true. And if you want to be on stage with Peter Gabriel, you better have a little shine to you. <laughs> so I did like that, especially like the drum tone. Uh, I thought that sound uh, really good. What about uh, the bass tone? That was gorgeous. Bass tone is good. Though um, so I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I hated the song almost in its entirety. The only portion of the song I liked was kind of after. So there's an instrumental that that signi- signifies the battle. Uh, and there's kind of like a breakdown that I'm assuming is the refractory period after the battle where, you know, the, the, the two warriors, one is vanquished and one is heroic but breathless. And then the instrumental kind of builds back up. And I like that building back up portion of the song um, right up until Getty starts singing again. <laughs> uh, so what percentage of your, of your like, perma-rush hate is Getty Lee's voice? Um, it's got to be up there. Uh, well, I despise Getty entirely. Right. I mean, like, like his voice or his his musical ideas, his his uh, writing, his, his he's the bassist and the keyboardist and yeah. the principal writer. I think musically he's fine. I don't like I don't like the timber of his voice. I don't like the uh, um, melodies that he does vocally. I think it's kind of uh, it's within a narrow band. I think where he's kind of doing the same things over and over again. Uh... And I think his lyrics are just... Abhorred. Well, he doesn't write the lyrics. Oh, it's, it's Neil Peart writes all the lyrics. Right. Well, the lyrics are abhorred. These are bad lyrics? Oh, <laughs> These my are God. horrible lyrics. These are gorgeous lyrics. You can suck it, dude. I would write this song. <laughs> <laughs> Bitor and the Snow Dog is patently ridiculous. I mean, on its face, it's got to be just, you know, for humor's sake, I'm assuming. Like, this cannot be done in any... Guys so, of seriousness. I think there's there's no winning the battle of somebody who dislikes the the flavor of the Getty Lee voice. I think it's like one of those. I think we talked about this in a previous yeah. episode. Uh, there's just you know with like certain vocalists like Sting and like Getty Lee and uh, Billy Corgan and those right. types of people like James some Lebrie. Pe- some yeah James Lebrie. Some people are just gonna outright despise it no matter what's done. It just it's going to be bad. It's gonna go south. Yeah. Um, so. The vocal thing, I, I was curious if the rest of the music is, is as abhorrent. So anything in the uh, the main theme, like pre and post battle, is just outright bad. Yes. I don't agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. do I do like the, the, like I said, I do like the tone. I like the production values on the song more than other Rush songs I've heard. Uh, but I, I got to admit it's a little harsh to me personally. <laughs> I prefer late 80s Rush personally. <laughs> Well, we already tried Jacob's Ladder with uh, with Matt. Yeah, it this is better than that, I would say. Uh, there's no uh, there's no high tech uh, of 1985 keyboard in this one. <laughs> right, right, which I like. I don't particularly like the uh, like you know when the battle begins. There's this growling bass noise that you know. Yeah, there's there's actually multi tracked bass because there's a bass going on with the drums and then there's a bass solo at the same time. Yeah, that didn't that didn't do it for you? No. Yeah. I can see what they're doing. I can see what they're going for on this, but, uh, but yeah, it was, was it seventy five? It was seventy five. Nineteen seventy five. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can see why they why they would do that, and it kind of to me it ties into the same kind of concept as like rhyme of the ancient mariner, that kind of thing. That same like you know we're telling a little story, partially instrumentally, partially you know musically. Yeah, but that's like you know 
good story that's actually based on, you know, literature and not some nonsense that the kindergartner would write. If you know a kindergarten that could write this song, I don't I don't begin to believe My that. niece who's three years old could come up with a story about Bitor and the snow dog. <laughs> oh. Neil, Neil, we need your help, Neil. <laughs> now well, we can't have Neil Perry on this podcast because he'll come in and make us all feel stupid. So, like, we'll question living after we talk to Neil. More likely, we will never get Neil Peart anywhere near this podcast. But that's okay. You hear so, that, Neil? Come on. So, give Aaron, us a call. Aaron, what do you think of this song? I love this song. Um, you know, it overall. I feel like it's a great example of a progressive rock song. Uh, I know that we kind of we can delve into progressive metal and we can go other ways with progressive stuff, but like you know, in the in the early days, this is getting away from King Crimson. You know, this this is coming out of that you know egg, and this is the chicken that hatched. Uh, you know, albeit it might be a nasty rooster that you didn't want to deal with, but it's uh, it's there, and that that's now the music that's going to push it forward. And I mean, songs like this are what created bands like you know Metallica and shit like that. So and I know. think this is like crucial for its era, and it's uh, and I dig everything about the the whole tune, like tone wise. I like Jenny Lee's voice. I'm I'm down with it. I'm okay with it. I also like his his melodic range and his melody choices. But that's just me, and I understand why somebody wouldn't. Um, this would be a difficult song to try and convince somebody to enjoy. Um, and while I totally enjoy it, um, and I assume Pete likes it, um, I don't know. Pete, what do you think of this song? <laughs> when I first heard it, it was annoying as hell to me. <laughs> but my drummer at the time was a big Neil Peart fanatic. He had the same exact kit. <laughs> so yes, I had Slinger to go. Yes, yes, he awesome. did. It was fantastic. It was all set up in his basement. His mom would come down every twenty minutes and tell us to turn down. <laughs> it was Boys, keep it down in there. It was a classic high keep school it down experience. There. Awesome. You're jamming in Joe's garage, apparently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> his basement actually. There you go. Big concrete walls, boomy and echoey. <laughs> so on a scale, but, uh, yeah, to to get that uh, bass sound, especially on the Rickenbacker, since I were, that's the reason why I got in his band because I had a black and white Rickenbacker bass. Awesome. <laughs> so can you play? It doesn't matter. You're <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I I had to learn the triplet technique, rolling the rolling the right hand without a pick, and it was. It was something that made me a better bass player, so I, I can't fault it for that. It is challenging. All right, well then, Matt, so on a scale of 0 to 10, where 0 fucking sucks, and 10 is entirely acceptable, <laughs> where would the song rank? I'll give it one point for uh, tone that I liked, and one point for the uh, uh, instrumental part that I like, so it gets two points. So I, I think that, that would rank as like F asterisk, Asterisk, K I N G. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, uh, I don't think you'll ever convince me to like any Rush songs. Uh, <laughs> no, this is not as terrible. Podcast as is young, man. Others ever. <laughs> We're not gonna do only Rush. We actually do know of other progressive right. rock bands. We have thirty years worth of Rush to choose from. Although. But- I did have a band that I wanted to do for this podcast that would have been in the same era with similar recording tones. So. Well, we've got some other ideas. But yeah, so obviously using two Rush songs, the reason why we used this second Rush song was because of our, our guest, Pete Pena. We want to thank you for uh, for kicking in your opinions and, 
and choosing the song of your own free will. He has chosen <laughs> free will. <laughs> And oh God! Yeah, I'd like to mention the beer that we're consuming uh, for this podcast is Mash and Grind by the brewery and uh, uh, Stranahan's Well Built ESB from uh, Breckenridge. I find it helpful to uh, remind myself when I listen to these later in ten years of the beers that I'm drinking <laughs> as I'm listening to these songs, uh, since I tend to remember more about the alcohol I'm consuming than the actual songs that we're listening. <laughs> I would have preferred subdivisions, actually, when I chose Fly By Night because he needs more of a challenge in his bass. <laughs> well, sounds good. Well, uh, so I guess this will this one will end up uh, leaning towards Matt's direction. This would not be a resounding victory, but we've gave it we've given it an honest effort and uh, done all we can here. So and apparently yeah. our our music needs drastic reevaluation from the, the lashing <laughs> we've taken from Pete. So uh, apparently we need to get back in the woodshed a little bit before our next prognosis podcast. And there are more beers to open and more progressive rock tunes to go over with a fine tooth comb. So. Yeah. And I will drink them and give them a lash. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks again, Pete. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time.